Oh, there's nothing like a cup final. There's nothing like a Wembley final. Chris Whittingham, the neutral observer, and I will preview this match. I gotta say, better than we've previewed any match. I'm sorry to raise expectations, but I was happy with this show. I sound surprised. Why should I sound surprised and then, in the same breath, ask you for five-star reviews? Quickly, do it now. Leave an Apple Podcast rating. Pod good. Let's get into the show. Larry Nance Jr. joins us. We get into all the transfer stuff, too. Don't worry. It is a cup preview unlike one you've ever heard because it's the first Chelsea mic'd up cup final preview. Vamos! Well, listening audience, we're almost there. We're almost there to mission accomplished on the season. You got the top four finish and probably so, which is kind of weird to say because we're the mighty CFC. But when you consider the sale of Eden Hazard, Achilles injuries to two of the most promising attackers on the team last season, the departure of your European Trophy winning manager. You are here with a second year manager, club legend Super Frankie Lampard, in a Wembley final against your arch rival Arsenal for a trophy. Not just the prestigious FA Cup trophy, Chris Whittingham, the keep Arsenal the hell out of Europe trophy. <laughs> this is a major, major match. It's always major whenever Chelsea and Arsenal get together. Doubly so when there's a trophy on the line. Triply so when you have the opportunity to keep them out of Europe. You know Chelsea get up for that. Most people would say this is a house money game. Satisfied with top four. Arsenal had more to play for. Arsenal kind of had more to play for last year too in the Europa League final. That didn't stop Chelsea and then Hazard from drubbing Arsenal 4-1 in that final. Chris, I don't think Chelsea are going to take this lightly considering everything they've already achieved. You've swayed me on this because when we were talking after the Wolves match, for me, top four is such an accomplishment given what this season was going to be that I felt just from a neutral perspective, eh, the FA Cup, it'll be fine if they won it, but it wouldn't be devastating if they did it. And now after talking to you and after kind of hearing some of the conversations, like, oh no, it's an FA Cup final. And even though it's going to be played in front of no fans and that in and of itself is its own unique experience, but it is still a massive opportunity to win domestic silverware in this season. And would really, you look back on this 2019-2020 season that's had so much craziness associated with it. If you leave it with a place in the Champions League and a trophy to boot, that is an absolutely remarkable achievement. So this is a huge game against the London rival. As you said, there are the banter implications on the line of once again keeping Arsenal out of where they want to be. Yet last year, Champions League. This year, Europa League. And there's so much on the line heading into this match that yeah I do think that it is probably the game that Chelsea will most give a go out of the next two yeah you do have a chance to turn around at Bayern Munich but this is really your opportunity to accomplish a key goal for the club I don't want to be here telling you that I'm going to be super hurt if they lose this match inconsolable I won't I'll be fine I'll rationalize you know what it's been a great season Arsenal really needed it but the banter (laughs) <laughs> oh, the banter. I would love to once again be able to throw a trophy in my Arsenal friends' faces. And this is a club that's built on trophies. We, Chelsea fans identify with, yeah, 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 chaos, but the trophies. Every year, there is some insurmountable obstacle that faces Chelsea, some sort of controversy behind the scenes. Hell, even Antonio Conte won an FA Cup on his way out. And William (laughs) did the shady thing of putting the trophy emojis over him in his Instagram post. (laughs) You can't continue to be that club with a new crop if you don't start winning the trophies. Now, 
Would I fault them if they don't? Absolutely not. They're still going to be young next year, and they still have opportunities to win trophies next year, hopefully starting with that community shield, because I would love to test the medal right away with a new squad against Liverpool in Wembley. But this is a huge opportunity to further indoctrinate these youngsters into what it means being a Chelsea player. You fortified Sanford Bridge. You got points in a match that you needed to. Time in, time out. We spoke about it ad nauseum, Chris. Chelsea have had an answer. Frank Lampard, in particular, has had an answer. This is to harken back to your, it's difficult to say, roots, but for many of the youngsters playing on this club, all they've known is Chelsea being a successful club that wins trophies, and now they can be a large part of it. And it's funny to me that it's not only just the young players that you know did grow up. This is 15 years we're talking about now of Chelsea winning major honors, but... I was listening to Timo Werner's interview with Chelsea TV, and even he was talking about, yeah, when I was you know, growing up in football and I was watching Didier Drogba score goals for Chelsea and my next manager, Frank Lampard, score big goals for Chelsea. The young generation view Chelsea in this way. And so as you said, to win you know, five Premier Leagues in the Abramovich era, five FA Cups, three Carabao Cups, obviously the Champions League, two Europa Leagues, this is what Chelsea have built themselves on. They're always in contention to basically win, at a minimum, one trophy a season. And so to add that to this season, which has had so much to it, and even in recent times where they haven't competed towards the top of the Premier League, but they're still retaining these major awards, it's huge for kind of maintaining this image as Chelsea is one of the biggest clubs, not just in England, but in the world. And so I do think that continuing just add to that double-digit number, 15, 16, 17, 18 trophies, is huge towards maintaining that status with the next big transfer that comes because Akai Havertz has only ever known Chelsea as a big, big club. Witty, you mentioned that interview that Timo Werner gave Chelsea. Let's play some audio, specifically the audio of him talking about his manager, Frank Lampard, because I have some thoughts on that. He was the main point. Um, we talk a lot about uh, things like system, like how, I, uh, how he wants to play, uh, to see me playing and how the system uh, fit to me. And uh, yeah, he was a really, really nice guy who not only uh, told me that he wants me as a player because he wants to have me as a, as a, as a guy uh, because he knows me now a little bit better and uh, it fit very, very good between us and uh, now I'm happy to be here. That audio courtesy of the Fist Sand app, the only official Chelsea app. It's curious because we're right now at a time where these youngsters, that Chelsea and Timo is actually a little bit older than <laughs> the rest of the Chelsea youngsters that they're counting on, but still considered a young player. Timo's right around that age where he still has very fond memories of growing up watching Frank Lampard. But in a couple years, it's going to be shocking to hear this. We're a couple years away from the players that Frank Lampard's going to be recruiting, them only remembering him as a manager. And if you think that's ridiculous, I remember back when I'm a Miami Heat fan and they were trying to recruit Gordon Hayward, who's not a youngster. And he actually said, I don't really remember Pat Riley coaching. I only know Pat Riley as this front office figure. So we're only a couple years away from Frank Lampard having to have his name attached to being a manager and not just this legendary player. That'll help when he goes and recruits these players because, hey, look what I've done on the pitch. But if I'm a young stud that doesn't really remember Frank Lampard as a player, I want to know what Frank Lampard, the manager, can do for me. This is his first bit of hardware that he can win. Granted, he lost opportunities at the Super Cup and got bounced from the, uh, the Carabao Cup. And man, that one stung considering its uncertain future. But 
to be able to have a trophy, to say, I won that trophy. This one's always going to be special for Frank Lampard. I won that trophy in the midst of a transfer ban, in a transitional year. I had all these injuries. People don't really talk about, and Golo Kante is one of those injuries. Christian Pulisic, as great as he's been after the restart, he's been one of those injuries. It's been a mash unit. He's had to keep this thing together with scotch tape, Chris. And as you said, the manager will eventually need to live off the reputation of himself as a manager. I go back to at the beginning of Zinedine Zidane's tenure in charge of Real Madrid. He had the credibility to go to Cristiano Ronaldo and say, hey, we want to win this Champions League. You're going to need to sit our away matches in La Liga. And he had the credibility to do that that maybe a Rafa Benitez just did not because there's just a difference between having a strong playing career and only being a strong manager. But at a certain point, yes, Timo Werner is going to say now that playing for Frank Lampard is a big deal. But the manager also has to prove their efficacy towards the players and helping them develop and helping them achieve their goals. And so as long as Frank Lampard is maintaining that image with the next crop of players, his status is a big deal. Managers that have big playing experience do help in terms of recruitment, do help in terms of having real credibility when talking to players, but you also then have to prove that you're going to help the player once you get him in. And being able to win and being able to have Timo Werner come into the Premier League and score at the same level that he did in the Bundesliga is going to be huge towards the recruitment of the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. So I definitely agree that that notion of the player legend that becomes a manager does eventually graduate from that and eventually needs to prove himself as only a manager. This is the chief storyline from a Chelsea perspective. From an Arsenal perspective, they've disappointed in the Premier League. There's all sorts of questions surrounding its ownership and where they go from here. A trophy would be nice because Arteta is kind of in the same boat. He's not legendary status the way that Frank Lampard is, but he's starting to gain respect as a tactician. This would go a long way for his future at Arsenal and the buy-in from those players and the fan base that have already anointed him with big wins over Liverpool and Manchester City. A trophy would be so massive for them, and it gets them into Europe. Their expectations have sort of been recalibrated here, Chris. They were the club that were known as the top four club. They would just finish in the top four every year, but now they've fallen even a step below that, and they're basically the Europa League club. They haven't been able to get out of that competition for three or four years now, and they have a big, looming transfer saga, potentially with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang moving somewhere else. They need to strengthen in defense. They need to strengthen in midfield. And as you said, this would be a huge step for Mikel Arteta as manager because it would kind of be the reward at the end of what has seemed like process-based gains. They work harder, they defend better, but doesn't really matter in terms of their finish uh, in the Premier League. So I do think that winning a trophy would be big for them. At the same time, while obviously a trophy would help towards those goals, you do see a lot of clubs benefit from not playing in Europe. There's usually one team a season where if they don't play Europa League, if they don't play... This year, it was Leicester. Yeah, they ran out of gas towards the end of the year, but not having the European competitions was a help to them. I do kind of wonder if Arsenal would be better off losing this and not getting into Europa League and not having the Sunday-Thursday fixture backlog, but at the same time, the rewards of proving your new manager in his first managerial job would be would probably outweigh that. For some reason, I don't believe that's going to be the spin from Robbie Lyle and <laughs> Arsenal Fan TV post-match if they lose this one. I don't think they'll be rational and say, you know what, we can focus on the Premier League because 
no reasonable person would fancy their top four chances even next year with the additional signings that Chelsea have made with Manchester United after initially playing coy about them being able to spend money. They seem all in on Sancho. The tea leaves were sort of saying that Chelsea were out on that, and you've seen with their pivots in the rumored transfer market and the actual transfer market with the confirmed signings. Let's concentrate on two players here. Two players that are now playing for rivals. Olivier Giroud for Chelsea and David Luiz for Arsenal. Let's begin with David Luiz, who had some sort of falling out with Frank Lampard. Remember, he was a part of Chelsea before the season, and then that shock transfer goes to Arsenal, and look, he's a, he's a complicated player. He's going to make the gaffes. That's a part of the David Luiz experience. But also, he's proven with Chelsea and now with Arsenal, who's been playing well as of late on the defensive end, he can be a part of a good defense, and his distribution from that back line is essential in the eyes of many. What do you make of this helter-skelter season from David Luiz? It's basically what David Luiz has been his whole career, isn't it? It's basically, I think his average performance is pretty good. But people will always pick on his big mistakes and his absolute horror shows, of which he will have some. So the moment you start to have confidence in him is the moment that he starts to let that confidence down, and you just have to ride the wave. I think ultimately, the number and variety of managers that have determined him to be essential would prove to you that he's a good player. The problem is, is that I think for a lot of fans, fans want to have security and safety in their central defenders, and you're just not going to have that with David Luiz every week. So I think he's capable of putting in a great performance, but he's also capable of winning this FA Cup final for Chelsea. That's just who he is as a player, and I think the fact that Arsenal have continued to rely on him show their shortage of options, really, at centre-back. It's not like they have much better. And also that he can really provide value in both a defensive sense, because I think they won that FA Cup semifinal on the back of his defensive performance, but also, as you said, that distribution is so key to really any manager wanting to play out from the back. How much stock should I take from that Manchester City semifinal that you just mentioned? Because, yeah... David Luiz was particularly good. It stuck out how good he was. But what also stuck out in that match is Manchester City seemingly had the open looks at the net and they just couldn't connect. Was this a bit of luck for Arsenal? Was this part of the game plan? Let Manchester City struggle from the outside? That's not typically a Manchester City that we see. No, I mean, some teams have done it effectively to Manchester City this season. And I think Arsenal, after getting hammered at the Etihad, probably realized this was their way forward. I'm not sure you can take a bunch from it because that seemed like a Manchester City-specific game plan. I don't know if Arsenal are going to enter a game against Chelsea and expect to give up 65% of the ball. And basically, try and negate the ways in which they can score. Now, we've seen teams do it with success before, but I just don't think Arsenal are going to approach the FA Cup final in this way. The one thing that, to me, has kind of stood out in this post-restart period is how good their goalkeeping has been, and really for the whole of the season. You look at the advanced metrics on Arsenal, they have the best goalkeeping situation in the Premier League, starting first with Bernd Leno, who is excellent, and then Emiliano Martinez has come in and been just as good as a backup. So I do think that there is a chance that Chelsea fans get frustrated with creating good chances and the Arsenal goalkeeper is there to deny them and I think that's why their goals conceded record has been pretty good since restart is that they've got a great situation at the back from a goalkeeping perspective so I think they've just become more defensively solid as proven in that Man City game the goalkeeper helps them out and unless Arsenal wants to open up which I don't think they really have against big opposition for a little while I think there's a chance that Chelsea could get frustrated with creating chances. Yeah, I'm happy you mentioned Martinez. I think second place to Obama Yang player of the season is just goalkeeper for Arsenal because they've been that good. Shifting our focus now to the former gunner, Olivier Giroud, an immaculate record at Wembley. 
I mean, since February, he has been such a massive part of what Chelsea do. Chelsea simply don't finish top four without his emergence and his professionalism. This is a game that I fancy him to score in, Chris, because he scores at Wembley. Hell, he scores every time he takes the pitch in a starting role now, it seems, for Chelsea. This is a player that is going to go down in retrospect, especially if he adds another FA Cup to his name, as really one of the great winners at that position. And he's doing so quietly. And his record at Wembley is 13 wins out of 14. Uh, it was funny because I was watching this uh, YouTube montage of the all the FA Cup final goals of this decade. And it starts with Didier Drogba scoring, I think it was against Portsmouth. And Martin Tyler's the commentator. He goes, this is his stadium. Let's see if he can do it again. And he's done it again. And Didier Drogba was kind of the first player that laid down his marker as New Wembley is kind of my place. Olivier Giroud might be all time right now. 13 wins out of 14, four FA Cup final wins is an absolutely incredible record. He's described it as his garden. I mean, it's like, this is my backyard. This is where I live and do my work. So Olivier Giroud is a player who, as we talked about in the last episode, is scoring goals now for fun and has added so much to the Chelsea attack. And I think given his record at this ground, I don't know what it is, if that's just a, a very odd bit of luck, but he's done a lot of that winning with Arsenal, and we'll see if he can continue to tack that on with Chelsea here. It's funny, isn't it? Because on the national stage, he's the striker that doesn't score for his club, but for his professional club at Chelsea, reaping the benefits of him scoring nonstop, seemingly. The banter is what's really on the line here. Yes, it's the oldest, most prestigious cup competition in club soccer. That's all fine and dandy. Yes, it's a Wembley final, but you need to be able to continue to hold this over your Arsenal supporting friends because, damn it, if it isn't the most fun thing to do. Let's continue to preview this FA Cup match with a friend of the show, Larry Nance Jr. of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He knows his stuff. A must-follow on Twitter. Make sure you do that. Larry Nance Jr., a friend of the show, making his return. Chelsea mic'd up. That's coming up next. Watch every minute of every match. Download the Fifth Stand, the official Chelsea app. A return guest, Larry Nance Jr. joins us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. This is pretty close to friendship, Chris Whittingham. Josh Hart not along his side so we can actually get into the weeds with the tactics because while Josh is a fan and his heart is in a good place, I've seen videos coming out of the bubble and he's confused over Bone Thugs and Harmony, so maybe not the best person to talk to right now, Larry. (laughs) I completely agree. He's still got to learn his 90s, 2000s rap, so we'll just leave him off this and let him study up. Well, I was really excited to actually talk tactics with you, but let's start with a big award that was handed out by the football writers football player of the season this has been a controversial one I know you had your thoughts on it Jordan Henderson wins it and he's done an amazing job and and I'm sure you can attest to like how valuable captains are in the locker rooms and it was certainly an historic Liverpool side but if we were just going to do the American thing of let's draft players were you drafting Jordan Henderson on that squad oh man I I think we talked about it. I think it was like, all right, so let's get let's get the obviouses out of the way. Obviously Salah, obviously Mane, obviously Van Dyke. Those three are a given. Actually, let's throw Allison in there too. Man, given. I, I'm dangerously close to saying TAA is probably an automatic too. Oh, okay. I'm with you on that. I'm with. I'm so with you on that. And if TAA is like, 
You got Robertson. Like, Robert. Fabinho, yeah. like there's a you know what, is he is he even in is he in the eleven? <laughs> well, I was asked I was asked by uh by a neutral fan, do you even start Henderson at Chelsea? I'm like well, we've had so many injuries, probably. I mean Conte's <laughs> been available for like twenty games. Right. But do I fancy him more than I rate Kovacic? No. No. No, no I don't. Chris, let me uh, hand the ball over to you because I know you're a fan of Larry's. Let's get some questions about this big FA Cup final going. You've been tweeting about how you've enjoyed uh, bantering with the Manchester United fans and kind of uh, making fun of them and needling them. But the Arsenal fans are pretty fun to mess with as well. So for you, how big of it is it just to win this trophy and get a trophy in the bag for this season? And how much of it is... Well, you can make fun of some Arsenal fans if you win. Um, I, I'd say 50-50. I mean, I feel like Champions League is our trophy for this year. I feel great about that. And so if we win this on top of that, that's that's awesome. But at the same time, like, Lou Aldang, who's a, who's a close friend, you know, NBA player, and had been played for a long time, he's a diehard Arsenal fan. And I messaged him and said, hey, look, I'm so confident. You pick the bet, you name it. I don't care. I'll do whatever <laughs> it is. I'm that confident. And so he's still waiting. I'm still waiting to hear back from him. But, or, uh, he's picking his bet right now, but I don't care. I don't care what it is. I'm pretty confident. What is banter with Luol Deng like? I don't, I don't really see him, like, if if <laughs> Arsenal come out victorious, I don't really see Luol Deng, given what I know from him on the court, as a guy that's going to talk a bunch of bleep. Oh, no. He, he'll he give it to you. He'll give it to you. I mean, he, he'll he send you selfie videos of uh, London is red, London, you know, like the whole, <laughs> the whole bit. Like, he's... He's a lot of fun to mess with, you know, have some back and forth with. But also uh, Josh Richardson, who's on the six, uh, 76ers, like he's uh, he's he's a big uh, – I think he's more of a Lacazette guy over an Arsenal fan, but still mm-hmm. still fun to mess with him as well. Yeah, down here in Miami, I've failed. The vast majority of the players that have come in and out of that heat locker room are more Arsenal guys than Chelsea guys. Yes. But I got Kendrick Nunn, so I'm working my angles a little bit. Before we get into the FA Cup final – and we can get in the weeds tactically here with Larry Nance Jr. You mentioned the top four was essentially our trophy, even though that's sort of a cliche that's usually reserved for Arsenal supporters. <laughs> Frank Lampard had a lot to overcome this year. We've talked about it a bunch, but it was a massive, massive achievement. Given the injuries, the bans, the players leaving, the players struggling to find fitness and form, what do you make of Frank Lampard this season? And do you believe that, hey, we might actually have a manager here at Chelsea for a decade plus? I think it's it's the perfect fit. I mean, I think it's the perfect fit. He's um, It would be tough with this young group to have a... Um, to have an older manager and try to, you know, trying to yell at him all the time. You know, I feel like, you know, just from personal experience, you know, guys like the young guys, Mason, Tam, I mean, I, you can go down the line. We, our whole team is young guys. They're going to respond better to somebody more their age, somebody especially like Frank that they got to watch play and not just play, dominate, you know, so you know what he says and, and, and what he, his advice holds weight. And I just think he's done – He's done a, a ridiculously good job of, of 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 managing those guys and you know making sure everybody making sure everybody stays on on task. I will not do the American sports thing of seizing on what you said about your experience with Cleveland because it's very easy to read into that situation given the players that were shortly removed from their playing career and maybe elder statesmen. We move on to the match at hand. <laughs> uh, Christian Pulisic been incredible post restart. I mean Olivier Giroud. Dating prior to the restart, really since January, he's been uh, incredible for this team. 
The formation's been a bit of a fluid thing. A lot of it dictated by injury, some of it dictated tactically by the opponent that we're playing, it would seem. What do you want to see in this FA Cup final in regards to the Chelsea lineup? The first thing I want to see is a healthy William. A healthy William is, is, is first. Did he, did he rule himself out? We just got that Instagram story of him in the boot and, yeah, in the boot, and, yeah. and word that he, he is trying to make his way back. If I had to handicap it right now, Larry, I'd say it's probably more likely that we'd see Conte than William. Well, that's, put that aside. My first on the wish list is William. I want, I want him back. I want him, I want him on the wing with Christian. And then I, 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 I love Tammy, but Giroud, it's storybook, right? Giroud's playing well. Benzema said the whole go-kart thing, and he's playing against Arsenal. Like, he, he's got to. He has to start. And with Pulisic, he, he obviously started in the last match against Wolves, and it was kind of great to see him back after he played so well against Liverpool. Obviously, when you're you know, hyping Chelsea to your Twitter followers or to your friends, I imagine having an American team is a huge part of it, but we haven't seen Christian play this well since he joined Chelsea in these kind of nine-game post-restart period, four goals, four assists. What have you yeah. seen from him, and what's been working so well that's been different than what we saw towards the beginning of the season? He looks so confident. I mean, he looks just so confident. He's got the ball at his feet, and, and he's starting to dribble at people. And at the beginning of the year, it was almost like, I mean, he did it, but it was more so just like, let me see if I can kick it around you and use my speed. Like, now he's, that move he made, checked into the game against Liverpool, dribbled between two defenders, nutmeg Gomez, and then across the line to, to Tammy. Like, it was just, crea- it was so creative. And the confidence and, and aggressiveness you have to, you know, that he's showing, he didn't show that in the first half. So, like, and I think that goes back to Frank, because if he just plays him throughout, who knows if he finds that? And um, I think Frank's done a great job with him, to be honest with you. Another good thing that Frank has done, you mentioned being more relatable, closer to the playing career, being able to impart certain advice that former players can only give. We've seen reports out, and Timo Werner told Chelsea this, the conversation with Frank was massive. People want to come and play for Frank Lampard. You're seeing reports out there with the uh, widely reported Kai Havertz links. Is there something to having like a, a boss recruit and a tactician like this? Because we spoke about it a little bit here on the podcast. There's going to be a time where Frank Lampard is going to need to be known as Frank Lampard, the manager. But for the time being, mm-hmm. it's got a pretty good resume to lean on. Oh, 100%. And that's why I think it's... At the beginning of the year, when he got, you know, when he got hired, it was like, all right, great. This is, I love the hiring because he's gonna, you know, it's hard to turn on your own, you know. And he, he's, he's one of us through and through. And so, you know, even if they struggled a little bit, there was gonna be bumps in the road, and they knew what they were doing. There's gonna be bumps in the road with a young team. And if had we hired, had we went with like a, a get it done right now manager, like you know, ideally like a Mourinho or a, a, you know one of those guys, like it just we would have lost patience with them for benching Christian you know, or for forever, whatever it was, but it's hard to turn on Frank. And, and the fact that he, we have him such a recruiting tool, like, you know, we have to, we have to have something that's more appealing than the Tottenham's and the United's than the, you know, than the, the teams that we're competing for signings against. And I mean, who would you rather play for? I mean, Lampard, Ole, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, would you rather play for Mourinho? Like yeah. I'll take Frank. Yeah, it goes without saying. Larry, I've really enjoyed it. It seems as though your passion for the game has only only multiplied during this pandemic because you're you're just diving super deep into football. And and I, once again, regards to you because I know Bournemouth, your second team, because you took them all the way to the Champions League <laughs> final and football manager, they get relegated. That must have been tough for you, no? It was very tough. It was very tough. I just, 
like it's bittersweet because I'm I love that team. They're so exciting. I think David Brooks is is really good. Obviously, Ake, I I would hate to see him at City, but you know, he deserves a chance. I'm a big Callum Wilson fan. Like I just I think they're like little brother. Like I just really <laughs> I really like them. But you know, obviously, I'm I think I'm I'm glad they're out because they're one of Chelsea's. When we play them, it's like a nightmare every single time. <laughs> when it comes to Willian, you were you were first to pick him out as like I want to see him playing. Why why is he so top of mind? Why why is he so important for you to maybe get a result here in this FA Cup final? I think having both to me, it's it's important to him having a, like on the other side of Christian because if I'm Arsenal, I am keeping Davi Luiz away from Christian, right? <laughs> because he's gonna you know, and I love I love him, right. He's a, he's a blue, I'm, I'm a Dolly Luis fan. But let's be honest with you, I'm keeping him away from Christian because he's prone to you know, sticking a foot out. And so if we can have William on the other side who's capable of the same attacking threat and creative you know, in and outs with the ball, you can't hide him from everybody. And so I think that's who, we're, that's who I'd like to go at. And um, you know, having, having a threat on the other side, I think you'd have to put Dolly Luis on Christian's side at that point. And I, and I think to be honest with you, I'll take Christian that matchup all day, every day. Great expertise from Larry Nance Jr. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. And don't miss Chelsea's Live Cup Final Fan Fest on Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Loads of special guests, including an exclusive interview by some lucky person that gets to talk to Larry Nance Jr. Check it out on the official Facebook and YouTube channels of Chelsea. Larry, thanks again for joining us. Can't wait to have you back. I appreciate you having me on, guys. Thank you. All right, per tradition here, Chris Whittingham, let's go over some news and notes headed into this Wembley FA Cup final. Very excited about it. And Golo Kante might be a part of this starting 11. We got some encouraging news there, Chris Whittingham, regarding his availability. I know the manager, Frank Lampard, was asked questions about N'Golo Kante returning to training. We all saw the, <laughs> the wonderful photos of N'Golo Kante smiling as Timo Werner, who was finally working with the club at the training grounds, was taking a few touches. N'Golo Kante... He's been linked to all sorts of transfer rumors. Nothing substantial there. It's just a lot of people sort of saying, well, they're spending this much. They have to sell this much. And N'Golo Kante is such an invaluable asset that uh, on an open transfer market, he'd fetch you a a pretty price tag. But let's not take any of that into account. I'm sure it's a storyline. Is this the last we see N'Golo Kante? Let's enjoy this for what it is, because if he is in that starting 11, Chelsea's chances of lifting the FA Cup trophy vastly improve. And I'm not going to doubt his ability to get ready for a game like this. I, do you remember last year at the Europa League final when he was a huge doubt to play? There was a report that he didn't even do anything in the training session before in Baku, and then he goes out and puts out a man-of-the-match performance and wrecks that Arsenal midfield. So I will not be surprised if N'Golo Kante uh, plays in this match. We do have to consider that the Premier League season does return in six weeks' time, and you don't want to have a small injury become a big injury. But as you talked about, this is a massive occasion for Chelsea to go and win an FA Cup, win domestic silverware, and win something beyond you know just that top four trophy that is so big for these clubs. So if N'Golo Kante can play, I'm not doubting that he will give his everything and be an important contributor in a Chelsea win. Recently, we saw Pedro's final Premier League appearance for the club. Pedro still training with the club, available for this match. Will we see William? Because he is out of contract as well. I know his agent curiously did some media. That was interesting to see. 
mentioning all the other offers that William had, a bit of gamesmanship, a last-second play for leverage. It's been widely reported that William wants a three-year deal, and Chelsea are a club historically that don't hand out multi-year deals to people William's age. However, he has proven that he can be a team player. He's proven that he can be a real valuable asset for you, not just with set pieces, but Chris, he still has the pace. I know he had a knock in the last game, and I really hope that William's out there healthy for the club, because if this is indeed the last time we see William, and even if he's brought back, chances are we're not going to see William featured in the same kind of role anymore, even if he is brought back with the club with the emergence of Christian Pulisic on the wings, the signing of Akeem Ziyech, Callum Hudson-Odoi, I know this was sort of a rehab year for that Achilles injury, but you have to start turning your attention to the future a little bit considering William's age. And William has played in the midfield some. He can be versatile for these cup ties. I want William a part of this team next year. What do you make of the decision that Chelsea have in regards to William, what he can bring to the table, and if we'll actually see him, if there's any news on that front for this FA Cup final? It'll be interesting to see if he can give it a go, because as you said, he can add so much. And I think his future, whenever he does decide upon it as maybe remaining a big sub at a big club, it could be immensely valuable. Because as you said, he brings dynamics into a game that when introduced to a side as it currently exists are totally unique. His pace, his ability to to put in great free kicks, and his ability also, if you have a lead, to protect the ball. That's among his greatest skill sets as well as game management is among the best in Europe. So I think he could offer so much as a sub, but if you're Willian, you know, and you want to maybe give it one more go with starting for a big club and being an important part of a team, there are other roles out there for you, whether, you know, there is some talk of him maybe going to Arsenal. His agent said to TalkSport that he's got two big offers from Europe. That he's got a big offer from MLS. You talk about wanting to be featured. He will be featured in an MLS club. Uh, he was reportedly linked with Inter Miami and turned down an offer. Uh, the, the agent came out and said that apparently, I guess, Inter Miami would have wanted him to come July 1st and maybe try and play at this MLS's back tournament. But, Either way, I do think that Willian, it really just comes down to his priorities and what he wants to be. If he wants to stay at Chelsea, I mean, a big part of the squad, start cup ties, maybe even when you have downturns in form from Ziyech or Pulisic or hudson Doyle, whomever, get some chances to start in the Premier League. But I don't think he's going to get the same assurances that he's had this season, where he's been kind of first name on the team sheet kind of starter. So I do kind of wonder where his priorities are at this stage of his career. I really do think that his priorities are staying in England. I know he's been rumored in his such a Juventus signing, but this is a guy that just got British citizenship, right? I, I can't help but drool at the prospect of having William as a super sub or as a cup player. And as you mentioned, he is absolutely elite at salting a game away and running to that corner flag when you have a lead. When I think of the act of doing that, I think of William running to that corner flag. I would love to have William in those doses. And look, if there is an injury, Christian Pulisic has proven that he can't really stay healthy throughout an entire season. He's going to have to prove that he can stay fit. You can't count on Christian Pulisic out there every week. Ziyech, maybe he falls into an injury situation. Callum Hudson-Odoi, we all know that he's been battling that Achilles injury. So you can't have too many weapons, and you're going to have Champions League fixtures yet again. You have versatile players like Mason Mount. Have a versatile player like Willian, someone that can slide in that midfield. Remember, we have no idea what sort of formation Frank Lampard is going to trot out there. We have an idea that Timo Werner is going to play at striker, but he himself is versatile. Everybody's playing time is a lot less threatened too, Chris by signing a bunch of players that can play in different positions because then you can get a more rotational sort of squad as opposed to just purely tactical, and that's where feelings get hurt. And the doubt for me would be 
it's kind of painted in Olivier Giroud's situation this year, where start of the season, people forget this, and I've heard some conversations like, well, he was always Tammy's backup. Not the case. First half of the season, Michi Batshuayi was... Tammy Abraham's backup, and was most. There were times where Olivier Giroud wasn't even named to the bench, and he had to play his way into that situation. And I just don't know if Willian, particularly given his history with the club, yeah, Chelsea spent some money on Giroud, but ultimately, I think he kind of knew the deal that he wasn't going to be the number one striker at Chelsea. Whereas Willian has spent eight, nine years being a pretty consistent starter down that right wing for so much of this of his Chelsea tenure that I don't know if that drop down and roll and let's say he goes five games without starting because they're big games or because Ziyech is playing really well or because Hudson-Odoi is playing really well. You just don't know if Willian is going to want to be in that situation. But I can guarantee you that if he does stay, he will still have a massive role to play, even if he doesn't. So I understand from a Chelsea fan perspective, from a club perspective, you still want to keep him around because he can, he can be a valuable member of a squad. And it's just really hard. I think you see with Liverpool how hard it is to find backups for that front three because it's hard to offer anyone playing time and it's hard to kind of get a player that's good enough to really come off the bench and make an impact. They've tried with Shakiri and Origi and all these guys. They just don't have it. Willian would absolutely offer that, but he'd have to be willing to accept it. And Liverpool, one of those clubs that Willian is also linked to, it's always Arsenal, isn't it? From, from Petr Cech <laughs> to David Luiz, that would really sting. The 2015 season from Willian was one of my favorites. I remember tweeting when, when there were some bad Chelsea teams, can William win the golden ball if he's relegated? There were some bad Chelsea seasons in there. And there was a time that I wouldn't want anybody over a free kick in the entire world other than William. It was nice to see him dip back into it. And I think that he has a lot to offer in the club. And it'd be kind of cool to keep one of these club legends because, look, he's a legend because he hates Tottenham. He came into the club a legend already for how the story goes with Tottenham paying for his flight and him ending up signing for Chelsea. Unfortunately, that makes him a perfect fit at Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, man, Chelsea, Chelsea have a, a very weird place in English Premier League history because they're this club. Their chief rival is supposed to be Fulham, but you can't count on the consistency because Fulham have been yo-yoing it for a little bit. Chelsea considered new money by the old establishment. We ain't got no history. The, the whole banter back and forth. They're rivals with Tottenham, they're rivals with Arsenal, but those two clubs, their biggest rivals are each other. Sort of on the outside looking in, kind of hating both of them, but they hate you too, but not as much as they hate the other. You're sort of going from year to year. Who's our, who's our main rival? It's whoever we're fighting with in the Premier League table. But if you lose this final, it's going to feel like Arsenal are your chief rival because they talk. God, do they talk. <laughs> and I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. We'll get into our predictions in just a bit, but... It's a Chelsea podcast. We have to talk about Kai Havertz. Mm. Chris, it seems as though Chelsea, once again, I mean, we've said this a million times, but we were contractually obliged to talk Kai Havertz at this point. Not bidding against anybody. The reports are Kai Havertz wants this done. There's some people saying, reputable people saying that he's agreed to terms with the club. He wants to be out of there before Europa League picks back up next week. Kai Havertz, let's, let's talk about fit for a player like Kai Havertz because we've talked about need and how just... What jumps off the page when it comes to Chelsea is, well, they don't really need another attacker. They need defense. We've had that debate. Where do you slot a player like Kai Havertz? What formation do you roll out? Because I'm trying to do the math in my head. Ziyech, Pulisic, Werner. Are we going back 3-5 hybrid? Are there three midfielders? How and where does Kai Havertz fit in this? And who's going to be losing the playing time? Because I doubt it's going to be Mason Mount. 
Well, I think right now it stands to be Mason Mount. Uh, now, it's actually kind of remarkable looking at his uh, history with Leverkusen. This player is 21 years old, and he's already played over 140 times for them, nearing on 150 times. So this is a player with a ton of experience at a variety of positions. But if you look at his transfer mark page, the position to which he's most been named is that number 10 position, attacking midfielder. It doesn't really exist in, in the world right now, but it's kind of the most attacking of a midfield three. That's the position that Mason Mount currently occupies. And so I don't know if maybe if we're talking about a team that's high pressing and certainly in Germany, they high press, maybe you can fit kind of the Pep Guardiola 4-1-4-1 where you have a holder. It would have to be in Golo Kante to cover all that ground with Havertz and Mount in front of him with Ziyech down the right, Pulisic down the left and Werner up top. That would be the way you fit all five of them into one team. And I can see your faces glowing at the mere proposition of that. That is a very attacking, very high-pressing team. I think there's a way to do it, but it would it would be very attacking. You'd have to keep a ton of the ball. Your press would have to be effective. And I just don't know right now where he would slot in. I don't think it's as the number nine because that's either Timo Werner or Tammy Abraham right now. And I don't know. I mean, he's played some as a wide man. His second most named position actually is his right winger. But I think he's going to play through the midfield in a kind of number 10 position. The question is, is can you kind of play him almost a little bit deeper with Mason Mount together in order to make that work? You were right to seize on the look on my face because it was <laughs> excitement. But also, you mentioned a lot of names. And one of the names you didn't mention was Kovacic. And this is oh, arguably yeah. the player of the season. Yeah. So I know, look, Jorginho is probably the odd man out considering he's already been the odd man out this year. What does this mean for Billy Gilmore? Probably got to work him back for for injury. That's a longer-term injury, so he's not a fix into your starting 11. And it was looking like he might assume that Jorginho role with those man-of-the-match performances, but now the injury changes his timeline a bit. We know that Conte can fill that role because he has in the past. Can Kovacic play that role? Because if I'm doing the fantasy booking and I'm believing what I see on Twitter and N'Golo Conte is a more likely player to be moved on, I don't know if Kovacic can be that distributor that even N'Golo Kante has proven he can be. He's sort of a tuck my nose in and just power through with the ball at my feet. Can you really foresee a situation here where Kovacic is being a sub after arguably a player of the season uh, yeah, campaign I, that he just put in? I, I think somebody has to be, right? I mean, there's somebody, we haven't even talked about a player like Ross Barkley who's impressed in the post-restart period. We haven't talked about Loftus-Cheek. We haven't talked about so many of the midfield options that I think you're going to want to fit into the side. So someone is going to have to be the odd man out. The thing about Kovacic is I, I do think he can be that distributor, and as you mentioned, that ball-carrying ability is elite, but it's more about the defensive work. And ultimately, do you have that holding midfielder that is going to make sure that if you do really go forward with a platform of four and five attackers that are going to, that are going to want to cause problems, do you have someone that's going to cover a lot of ground behind them? Basically what Fernandinho did for Man City for a lot of years, what the great holding midfielders do. We had Claude Makélélé on the pod. He did some of that as well for Chelsea. And that's why N'Golo Kante to me is more fit to that than Mateo Kovacic is. But you're right. I think Chelsea fans, obviously, and every group of fan, every fan base does, develop affinity towards the players that particularly impress for them. Someone who's impressed for you this season is going to not start regularly. And that is, unfortunately, when you get excited about transfers and you get excited about new players coming in, that's the collateral damage is some players you've grown fond of might not start as a result of it. Again, I'm just speculating here, and it's fun to fantasy book this stuff, but I think that the most likely scenario, because... 
Look, I know you led with Mason Mount as probably the odd man out. I think he started 46 of 48 available games for Frank Lampard. He trusts him. I think Mason Mount is locked in. I am already buying into that construct. I, I really don't see it as a possibility that Mason Mount is coming off the bench because Frank Lampard has proven to you time and time again he is going to start Mason Mount. I think there is a very real scenario that we've been starting a midfield for most of the season. I mean, our preferred midfield has been Jorginho, Kovacic, and Conte. I really only think one of those players is going to be in the starting 11 next year. Kovacic probably the most likely, the least likely probably Jorginho. The best hybrid in combining the skills is actually N'Golo Kante and he's battled with fitness and do you need to sell someone like N'Golo Kante to fund the additional moves that you need to make along that back line? So many fun questions. These are good problems to have. This is not being linked to Ben Foster and Andy Carroll. Although Ben Foster, <laughs> there's an argument to be made, Chris Whittingham, an argument to be made for Ben Foster. <laughs> Obviously, you can say no to a player like Kai Havertz. You, you simply can't. It probably means saying goodbye to someone that's been a good player for the club and probably a reduced role for a player. I think Kovacic is absolutely the type of professional that will accept any role that the club gives him. But it's going to be a lot harder for anybody to take that ego hit if they win player of the season. So let's talk about player of the season. A fun campaign is being waged on Twitter right now for the captain, Aspilicueta to win player of the season. I think this is an interesting conversation because, yes, he had some high-profile struggles at the beginning of the year, and I, I don't think many on Twitter gave him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, he's slow. He's overplaying things. Guys, newsflash. Cesar Azpilicueta has never been fast. It's not like it just it just hit him. Oh, no, I don't have the speed anymore. We're several years removed from an entire game plan of Jose Mourinho to just go at Cesar Azpilicueta and his lack of place. He's always been the veteran-savvy player, even when he was young, to get in the right positions to overcompensate for the fact that he doesn't have the pace. In a year that you had so much, it's been well chronicled, all the obstacles, you need that additional leader to carry out the message of the manager. Cesar Azpilicueta has done that. He's worn every bad performance. He's the one putting his face in that media buzzsaw. And the club has listened to him. Last year, his leadership was called into question because of the high-profile Kepa Carabao final disaster with Maurizio Sarri, which we're already one year removed from that, and it seems silly uh, <laughs> that this was a thing because Sarri's moved on, and now Kepa, heavens knows where he's going to be next season. I think there's a strong case to be made for the, the job as a leader, says our Azpilicueta has done this season. If Jordan Henderson can win player of the year for just being captain in that midfield and probably being the eighth best player if we were to draft the Liverpool talent, but he was a leader of a historic club, this is obviously not a historic club for Chelsea, but it's historically important because it might be chapter one of a very long book. And Cesar Azpilicueta was essential. Especially when you're bringing through so many young players. That's a huge job on the captain to that bit of leadership. I'm just looking at the squad statistics for the whole season just to see if maybe there's a candidate that I'm not missing. But when you bring up Azpilicueta, he's going to eclipse, if he starts this weekend, 4,300 minutes for the entire season, which is an astronomical number. He's already played in 48 games. Probably by the end of the season, he'll have played in 50 games for Chelsea. Only Mason Mount uh, has eclipsed that so far this season. But in terms of goal production, Pulisic has more goal production than Mason Mount does for the entirety of the season. 10 goals, 10 assists in all comps uh, compared to 8 and 6 for Mount. The candidate I think we might be missing is Willian. Uh, he's played in 47 games, 11 goals, 9 assists, and it's just been you know a steady player down that right-hand side. I get the Kovacic argument. That's very much uh, kind of... And I appreciate this, like an eyeball test of just watching week in, week out who is the regular standout performer. 
I just don't know. I mean, coming out of midfield, you want some more goal contributions coming from there, and his skill is a very important one. But And I understand why Chelsea fans are so, you know, it's almost become guaranteed, like Kovacic, player of the season. But I don't know if his impact is really that significant from either a defending standpoint, from... It's just, he's an important cog in the machine. But I, I would probably... Man... I think I would agree with you and go with Aspilicueta just because of all those other elements that you're talking about. He is the one solid defender that you count on week in, week out in an otherwise chaotic situation. The leadership, the assists, I think he gives a lot into into being in that conversation, but I imagine he'll end up going to Kovacic. In almost every statistic, you look it up, aerial duels, you know, crossing assists. Aspilicueta has been like second or third, but he's consistently top. If he's not at the top, he's right below it. And he's been a stabilizing force for this club. I'm very late to the Azpilicueta party. There's a late surge for it. I think Kovacic was also the default answer because when you consider the herky-jerky form that Chelsea had at the beginning of the season, Kovacic was the one player that was putting in consistent performances. So he built up a, a major lead in that respect. And Azpilicueta had performances at the very beginning of the season that stuck out as poor. So much so that we've forgotten all the great key contributions. And we've mentioned he's a player that when it goes well, everybody seems to be quiet. So I'm in team Azpilicueta because I think leadership has been essential when you've had so much change in that starting 11 and so much to encounter in terms of injury and inconsistency. Azpilicueta has been a stabilizing force. Frank Lampard came out. The reason why I'm sort of on this Azpilicueta hype train for player of the season because Frank Lampard actually came out in the media and sang his praises. Let's actually throw to that sound right now. So coach or manager player that you play with is a... Is a very different situation, you know, and it's been very easy with Aspie because of how he is. His, his level of performance and his level of impact on the group day-to-day as captain of the club, I, I can't understate it. It's been amazing. His performances in, in recent games, his performances for a huge part of the season, his defending today, his attitude, his application every day, it's, it's an absolute standard for any young player that wants to look. And so the players within the club um, can really understand it. He's an, he's an epitome of the club and, and I think the unfortunate thing at the moment with us this season is for everybody obviously but it's Chelsea we don't have our fans in the stadium because when you have a player like Aspie it's the one that the fans react to and go look at that because that's how we feel about Chelsea Football Club. The reason why I'm on this Cesar Aspilicueta player of the season hype train is Frank Lampard came out and told the media what a great job Aspilicueta did and I think we all sort of met it collectively like oh yeah Dave Dave it makes perfect <laughs> sense. All right Chris is prediction time. We've really gotten into the weeds. We've analyzed this FA Cup final. It's a proper final. We're giving it the proper hype. Many people might have just been, uh, look, you've gotten fat, you've gotten lazy, not just because of the (laughs) pandemic, but you nailed top four. But get up, folks. It's an FA Cup final. It's a Wembley final. It's against Arsenal, and we cannot let them have the banter. So, prediction for me. I was told on Twitter, you know, you pick a lot of two ones, Mike. I'll wear it. 2-1, Chelsea. (laughs) I'll go for 2-2, Chelsea win on penalties. I I think this is going to be a really competitive FA Cup final. I think Arsenal have really kind of found their sea legs in this competition. I think it's going to be competitive, and I think it's going to come all the way down to penalty kicks because I just think that would kind of be the perfect way for this Chelsea season to end, and I imagine Chelsea will get the job done and get over the line. It might sound ridiculous to some to hear you predict somebody coming away in penalties because penalties are a bit random, but clear advantage at the goalkeeper. We have no idea what kind of penalty kick 
goalkeeper Martinez is, but we know Willie Caballero is quite good at it. So clear advantage, I think, if it goes to PKs for Chelsea. That'll do it for us this week on Chelsea Mic'd Up. We'll have a reaction episode for you after hopefully Chelsea lift the FA Cup in the face of Robbie Lyle and Arsenal Fan TV. That'd be great. And we'll preview, it kind of feels like we're marching towards the gallows a little bit against Bayern Munich, but we'll barely mention that if we get to lift a trophy and hold that over Arsenal fans till we speak again up the Chelsea.